Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. Hi, I'm Joseph Whitney. And I'm David Campbell. Welcome to Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction technology, processes, and beer. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Brewing with Bam. Uh, it's good to be back. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me, as always. <laughs> having you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you make this podcast what it is, my brother. Um, hey, man. Uh, so we've taken a quite the hiatus. I know we had a quite quite the uh, staggered vacation schedules, um, and now we're getting back into it. And we kind of missed that 2019 recap. Um, so I know we've been chatting about this quite a bit, and I'm excited to do this. Uh, a kind of um, recap of concepts and technologies that came out in 2019, or maybe they didn't come out in 2019, but they gained a lot of traction. And I think that's that's great focus for this episode as we close out 2019, um, and then we'll start 2020 fresh, and we'll actually start diving into uh, individual softwares on each episode. So um, uh, sounds great, right? Good plan? Yeah, sounds fantastic. All right. Well, now to the, the nitty gritty, like the the, the most important part of this podcast, what are you drinking? So today I am drinking a um, – it's, it's actually a pretty funny story, but I'm, I'm drinking wine. I'm drinking a cab. Um, it's the director's cut from uh, the Coppola Winery, Francis Ford Coppola Winery out of California. Um, my vacation this year was down to California. Um, we went down to see some friends in the beautiful Oceanside. Got to see some awesome scenery driving down the 101 and uh, driving back up. We decided to go see the Redwoods and randomly just stopped here because one of my four kids had to use the restroom. You know, you know, how that works. And uh, I'm found, yeah. <laughs> found this awesome winery and uh, got this great cab. It's uh, I can tell you, it's pretty it is very, very good. Very good. Well, I'm I'm not a Reds fan, but uh, I do enjoy the the occasional cab from time to time. I'll have to uh, give it a try eventually. Um, so you're, you know, you're traveling quite a bit. You know, you travel for work, and now you're traveling for fun, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we wanted to uh, we wanted to do something different for Christmas this year. You know, and I've kind of gotten over giving things for Christmas, the toys, you know, all that stuff just builds up. It takes up space. They stop playing with it or they break it. And I've been kind of more of this mindset of experiences of where, you know, if I can do anything with my kids, if I can take some time with my kids and give them an experience in life that it it would go a lot further than that toy. So we had decided to take them to Legoland because uh, all of my kids are uh, pretty much obsessed with Legos, and uh, we, we went there for for a, a little while, and it was it, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of on board with that train. I, I actually need to uh, adopt that same mindset. We have uh, probably a 300 square foot playroom that is literally littered to the wall, you know, wall to wall, all toys. We've got those uh 
you know, wire bins that you snap together and you can stick those cloth um, cubes in. Mm-hmm. We've probably got about 40 of those uh, spanning the room. <laughs> and they're, you know, like, you know, foot by a foot uh, in, di- in dimensions. But uh, every one of them is packed to the hilt of toys. There's toys everywhere. <laughs> There's toys in the rooms upstairs. And downstairs in my garage, I have probably about four or five totes still full of more toys. Like, <laughs> grandparents, yeah. stop giving us toys. We don't need toys. <laughs> Give them clothes. Yeah. That's what they're growing out of. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Definitely. Well, oh, so how, uh, was, uh, how was your vacation? My, um, you know, not, not as, uh, enjoyable as yours, I guess. Uh, you know, I didn't get to go to Cali. I was, uh, I was in the beautiful city of, uh, Rochester during the winter time, which is, uh, not the time to go to Rochester as anybody knows. If you're going to go to Rochester to go during the Lilac Festival or something. Um, but, uh, you know, it was fun. I got to hang out with family and I, tra- you know, I travel so much for work. It was just, it's good just to, you know, go go hang out with family for, you know, a few, for a week and, you know, put work and travel in the back of my mind and not even think about it, uh, not have to worry about hotels or anything. Just hung out with family, stayed with them. And um, uh, it definitely made made the the holidays, you know, less chaotic. Um, we've been, uh, you know, this we've been uh, kind of without family during the holidays. So when everybody talks about like the chaos of Christmas and Thanksgiving, <laughs> we, we never experienced that for us. You know, uh, the chaos of Christmas is uh, trying to find a restaurant that's open because we're too lazy to cook a you know, <laughs> full blown Christmas meal for the four of us. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's our holidays, man. Um, in a nutshell, I guess. All right. All right. Like a good time. Yeah, it was fun, man. It was fun. So, um, you know, uh, you know, just a agenda set here. Um, so, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, as I mentioned, you know, we're going to recap some of the things that, you know, came out in 2019 or concepts came out in 2019. You know, again, a lot of these predate 2019, but just blew up in 2019. And uh, or maybe they just came to our attention in 2019. So forgive us if we got some dates wrong. But um, I'm really excited because uh, I think I think we get to talk about some really innovative technologies uh, and concepts um, and then, you know, as we move forward, um, uh, diving into specific products in each one where we're actually doing tips and tricks and making this more about the, the tech side of BIM. I'm really excited for this. Uh, thank you for everybody that's reached out. Like we've had a great, you know, pouring in uh, topic uh, recommendation, people that want to be on the podcast. So uh, you guys, 2020 is going to be a big year and I'm excited to kick this thing off uh, right by uh, ending out 2019. So uh, you came up with five. I came up with five. Um, I'll let you go ahead and kick it off, man. Uh, what What is on your list? What's the, the number five for you? So my number five is actually going to be um, mobile scanning with verification, mobile scanning and, and mobile scanning with verification. Um, so we've seen that kind of an uptick this year, right, on on the production of kind of the um, pouring out of these mobile scanners, whether they're backpacks um, and they've got a little stick coming up, you know, behind them with a the scanner on top, or they're in a, an actual handheld and they can go to mobile devices. Um, they can push the uh, information up into the cloud. Um, it, it's funny, but on doing some research on this, I found that most contractors anticipate that up to 30% of their projects will be subject to cost delays. And it's kind of interesting to see that when you're looking at that kind of statistic, how 
scanning during construction, kind of that getting a mobile scanner to give you an idea of what the building looks like at its current point, where you're going to be at, you know, in the, in the timeline, but also, I, I guess, making a digital twin, right? Because we are in that kind of era right now, making that digital twin of that model and being able to hand it over to somebody like the owner or um, any type of, I, I want to say, manager's type to go ahead and walk through that model to see if they catch, if they see anything that's off, right? Any issues, any, any um, well, um, changes that need to be made, they can go ahead and assess it right then and there and, and, and create that issue, you know, push that information out in whichever way they need to. So they make sure that change is done quickly, right? And it's not going to cost as much money or delay the project any further. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the whole verification side of things is huge. You know, uh, did they install the right, um, you know, duct pipe is in the right location? Is the, um, uh, you know, girders, are they the right size? You know, is it the right length? Is it, mm-hmm. is it the right thickness? Like knowing knowing all this stuff and being able to tell it by matching up the point cloud to the um, uh, model itself, um, that's huge, right? That, you know, mm-hmm. but... Uh, I think we're going to do a whole topic on this in the future. In fact, it's probably going to be the the, the topic of many conversations. Uh, we were talking about this the other day, you and I, when we had that brief conversation about like we're scanning headed and you know scanning for liability purposes. You know, knowing that as built, you know, it's great to have an as built model, but the best as built model you can have is actually a scan and like mm-hmm. um, uh, how all that plays into uh, uh, risk and liability and and uh, point clouds are going to be everything in the future. It's just Making it so that the processing is easier for people, the registration's easier, and that the the use of a, of the point cloud uh, makes sense. And that's that's a that's a very important topic, man. Yeah, yeah, man. It, it's kind of crazy, you know. Another thing that struck me with it is that as I got deeper into it, you notice that it has such a varied usage, not only just in the AEC kind of industry, the sector there, but also in mining. I saw a lot of mining applications, and that I think that's fantastic. Being able to yeah. give full tunnels, it's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I see a lot of uh, uh, drones used in like strip mining and mining in general, uh, but scanning is actually starting to take, like you're saying, uh, terrestrial scanning. Scanning is starting to take a a hold in mining, and that's because uh, it documents so many different conditions that we're not even thinking about because we're thinking about, you know, the you know at some point in time we're thinking about the structural integrity of it, or we're thinking about, you know, the 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 current state of it, but that scan can be used later on to tell, you know, if there's an accident, you know, hey, uh, what likely could have been the, the case of that? So if we have a 360 camera or a scan or something that we can reference, um, you know, that stuff, that's huge in uh, allowing us to kind of decipher and go back and um, kind of, you know, take that holistic look. Yep. So uh, what's up? What's number five for you there, Joe? Well, you know, it's probably not as revolutionary as is what you're talking about, but it's something I'm excited about because I got to play with it quite a bit. Layout for Android. And the reason why I'm, I'm talking about layout for Android is uh, I was a big fan of BIM 360 layout. I was not a big fan of the iPad. Um, the iPad has so many limitations. It's a, it's a, a, a consumer grade device. Uh, it's not you know made for commercial applications. I've been in 20 degree weather where it's freezing on the job site. Um, it's not tracking properly. Like there's so many issues that that happen with that. Um, so being able to use those devices in the field and have them work all the time, rain or shine, 
uh, is huge in my, in my book. And uh, being able to tap into the and leverage the cloud with BIM 360. So we're doing layout, right? We're on the job site. Um, you know, I go to my job trailer. I download the latest, you know, file. Uh, uh, that way, all you know, I don't have to go back to the office to get the the changes or whatever. I just have to jump on a signal, download the latest model, go lay out a bunch of points that were assigned to me that day, and I'm ready to rock and roll. And I can communicate that stuff back to the office. Like that is invaluable. That the speed, the accuracy, like that that um, to me is a, is a game changer. Uh, well, it was a game changer years ago. It's a game changer now because now we have this on Android devices. Um, and, and speaking of which, I think you're doing a, uh, just a little shout out to you. You're doing a, a pub crawl pretty soon, right? You're going to be doing this on the Android. Yeah, actually. Um, it was pretty funny. You started talking about that. I've actually, I brought it home with me this week to kind of test out and play with because I'm doing uh, two tap tours, um, in one in Portland, Oregon, and the other in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, I'm doing those Tuesday and Wednesday this week. And, uh, I'll be covering BIM 360 collaborate and then flowing right into layout from there. Um, and, um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's kind of why I voted for it, why I like it. Um, what it also does though, is it allows us to, uh, get everybody on that next gen platform. So I don't know if you're familiar with the old, of course you are. I know you're familiar with, I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Familiar with the old platform, right? Uh, BIM 360 Classic Clue, right? And it ran on its own essential FTP site that did not connect, uh, at least not on its own, right, uh, mm-hmm. to uh, next-gen layout, as we dub it, you know, Docs, BIM 360 Document Management. Uh, all of this stuff sits in BIM 360 Docs now. So meaning yep. um, if I've got uh, um, the design team uh, working on BIM 360 Design, I can also utilize BIM 360 coordinate um, for the clash detection components and all that sort of stuff. Um, at the same time, instead of having to, you know, go to BIM 360 design, copy, you know, files from uh, Glue, uh, and then, you know, do layout in either or app platform. I'm staying in one platform. This is yep. uh, Autodesk's big um, talking point is that whole single source of truth. Everybody's talking about it now. It's getting annoying to hear that. But it actually really is important when you think about not having to uh, uh, um, swap platforms because that data validity, it's all there. Um, yep. It's stayed in one platform. There's no trans, trans um, uh, transformational errors. There's no, uh, am I on the latest version? You know you are because that's where you're, you're accessing and saving to. Pretty important in my mind. It's uh, very important, man. And that's a great point. It really is. It's a fantastic application. And I mean, it does um really solve a lot of the pain points that we are experiencing in the industry in terms of of layout and as, keeping the documents and the model itself up to date and then making sure everything is documented as it needs to be i mean being able to place points even in that application i see it for you know as building through um you know the actual new construction part of the project yeah, you hit on a few different, like you and I, we had that uh, kind of back and forth as we were kind of brainstorming about your upcoming um, uh, tap tours, as we're dubbing them tap tours. They're pub crawls. Come get your free growler, free beer, and uh, talk technology. It's fun. Yes. Um, but uh, we were talking about some stuff, and you had pointed something out to me that I actually had not tried on the tablet before, which was actually placing points on geometry, not necessarily using my prism to place points, but say – um, I'm doing layout, but I noticed that he forgot to place points on that clevis hanger or something. I can select the geometry of that, and it'll place a point 
on that object for me, um, which is phenomenal. So then I can geolocate it uh, per the model it, or per the uh, uh, total station. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Very. Oh. Oh, and the biggest thing, the best thing, the absolute, my favorite thing about this whole uh, layout on Android is it works with GPS. Mm -hmm. So being able to set more points on the job site, or maybe you're in open air and you're not necessarily closed and you just want to go through and, you know, lay out some stuff on your deck, GPS, run it. It it works with any NMEA device. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I also love the fact that you don't need a bridge with it. Ah, dude. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I glossed over the the most important part is not having to have an external device, right? The issue with uh, iPads is uh, the Bluetooth uh, connectivity to um, uh, the frequency used by total stations. It's not the same. So we needed a bridge and um, Bluetooth bridge uh, to connect our um, device to the total, our iPad to the total station. Um, Bluetooth instead of Wi-Fi, which uh, was what we typically had a result uh, to um, to end up with was uh, uh, Wi-Fi, which is great. It's just the distance isn't there, right? Mm-hmm. So using Bluetooth um, was great. Bluetooth bridge, though, <laughs> no longer need it. So <laughs> any, any, anyways, uh, uh, I'm a big fan. That's Yeah, that's perfect. So I think I've spent enough time talking about BIM 360 layouts uh, or Android <laughs> layouts. Um, what is your number four? So my number four, um, is actually staying right in the alley that we've been talking about. It's kind of funny how it transitions pretty perfectly, but, um, I was going to talk about the Topcon GTL 1000. So this machine, um, was released in what, April of this year. And yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm leaning on you. (laughs) It's, it's a great machine. It really is. Um, I've been able to spend quite a bit of time with it um, and, of course, learning quite a bit about it, seeing the different applications that, you know, we can apply it to in our industry um, in in more ways of just, you know, scanning and more ways of just layout. But actually looking up to see that um, it, it actually gives you scan data that can be precisely adjusted to your survey or engineering grid. And it, it really, from that standpoint, it, it it's... It could be used, I guess, for engineering, like a surveyor with some scanning requirements or land surveying who's, you know, getting into scanning. Um, it actually just cuts out the need for registration in that aspect. And it, it's pretty fantastic, right? Um, looking at it on the vertical side of things, it's, I mean, it's a great piece of equipment for a lot of the same reasons. It's a single instrument to lay out and scan on a single setup. It combines a fast laser scanner, and I mean like it's two to three minutes on the standard detail, and you're looking three to five minutes on a fine detail. And it's a robotic total station, so it's all together in one efficient system. It's kind of nuts. Um, Really, when we started talking about, you know, the mobile layout and mobile verification, um, that's great, and we're kind of transitioning into um, layout, we're laying in, going into, um, well, of course, construction verification. And this piece of equipment starts really getting into that workflow. Even then, you know, if you want to look past just as building and being able to get a scan that's going to properly align to your model because it's aligned off of the coordinates. Like if you, as long as you get the model, you upload the model into it, right? 
you go ahead and calibrate off the control points. You go through, you do your layout or you, you, you establish your um, backsite and occupy points, right? And you take that scan and you're aligning it to where it is in that model. Yeah, it's and, nice. No orbs, no uh, no targets necessarily, necessarily unless you wanted to erode that route, but being yeah. able to use points. Uh, so as long, I guess as long as you have your, uh, if you're doing... You know, for example, I guess if you're doing a, you know, 30-story building, right, as long as your control's on the outside of the building and you can see it from every floor, essentially you could just check into that and it would stack your model on top of each other? Yes, dude, that's exactly oh, it. It's awesome. Yeah. It really yeah. is. I haven't spent as much time with the GTL and um, I don't get as much time as you've had with it, but uh, it looks like a remarkable piece of device, um, remarkable device. Um I just want to say, I think we're being a little biased here. Like <laughs> you, uh, you went down the GTL lane and I went down the Android, uh, for uh, BIM 360 lane, but I guess, you know what, we stick with what we know and it's what we've got to play with. And, uh, um, I think that, um, that's what people want to hear from us, right? What do we know yeah. and communicating that? So the GTL though, remarkable device. Yeah. So, uh, what's your, what's, uh, what's your number four? Ah, oh, man, again, sticking on the bias bandwagon here. Uh, shout out to uh, Britton Langdon over at M-Suite. Uh, they released BIM Pro, and they actually just came out with an announcement. They released some uh, Fab Pro updates and uh, the, the new uh, uh, iOS you know, application. Um, for anybody that that is transitioning to Revit from AutoCAD, you know, on the MEP contractor side, you know the pain points, right? You know that uh, you've got to be in Fabrication CAD MEP because that's where you're spooling out of. That's where your .ITMs, your services, everything is. Yeah, it's great. Everybody wants to move to Revit. That's fine. Um, but what do you do? You uh, so what? You say what? Say you model with your .ITMs. Well, you still have to kick that back out to Revit or to uh, Fabricat MEP to do all your spooling and uh, optimization, run your you know scripts, whatever you're running there to you know. Uh, uh, keep your cost low, make sure that you're, um, uh, you know, making the cuts in the right place so that you're not wasting material, that sort of stuff. Um, that's great. But what if we want to do that same thing in Revit? Well, there's a lot of products out there. They're just price heavy spend every year. And, um, uh, you know, you stop paying for the content. You're kind of SOL there, right? Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, tools like VicTools, which is very affordable uh, in BIM Pro, uh, which again, very affordable, um, allows you to spool out of Revit. It's recognizing recognizing uh, Revit families, .ITMs. Um, you can actually, one of the biggest pain points I've seen is, uh, uh, so say I did want to go to Fabcat MEP. I did all my detail work. I'm there, but uh, I want to repopulate a Revit model with that information. What I would do is I'd bring in a MAJ file, right? The issue is you can only bring in one MAJ at a time, but BIM Pro actually allows us to bring in multiple. It's it's amazing. It makes life a lot easier. Um, so whether you want to stay in FabCAD but end up in Revit or you want to stay in Revit, BIM Pro provides remarkable solutions. And BIM Pro is literally just the tip of the iceberg of the tool. It's like one little thing. A license of BIM Pro gives you Field Pro and Fab Pro. So it gives you um, uh, fabrication status tracking uh, as well as uh, um, you know installation and all that stuff so you can track um, where it is in the, you know, in its entirety. And to me, that, that holistic approach really makes BIM Pro a remarkable tool. It solves a real, um, industry need and it is not expensive at all. Um, 
it uh, definitely blows the, the the competition out of the water. Um, and uh, Britain is, you know, making some serious waves here. He uh, they won the Barton Mallow Innovation Award this year. Um, you know, spooling out of Revit, their tool allows you to spool, uh, saves hundreds of hours on a project um, and the development plan. And I'm not going to spill the beans because he's he's got a pretty uh, uh, tech forward plan for uh, what they're integrating into the, the product and making it a real holistic tool. But the development plan, the features that are coming, it's going to be an amazing tool uh, and uh, be on uh, everybody's um you know, bucket list, you know, say bucket list, wish list, I guess, rather, uh, for years to come, because it's, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be around. Yep. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess I can't really say it's going to be around, right? Technology changes, but I have faith in it. And I think it's, um, and, and everybody I know that uses it loves the product as well. All right, man. Sorry, dude. Um, sipping on some of this, uh, uh, PD, um, scotch here. I got some of this Lafroy. Um, you know, we never did talk about what you were drinking. What are we thinking? Ah, who cares, man? I'm always drinking something. No, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, so I, I picked out some really great hoppy beers, uh, while I was in the area, uh, here, you know, checking, I'm trying to find like local breweries. So I've been like trying a few and, uh, hopping around. The issue is they're so damn delicious that they don't last the day really, you know, a six pack will maybe a day and a half, right? Um, but, uh, the scotch, man, you know, I could drink this stuff all day. So I'm back on this Lafroy select, this single, you know, this, uh, I lay single model, single, um, malt scotch. Um, and I'm about ready for another refill, man. These, uh, these things go pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. I actually had to ask Adrian to bring me down another cup of, uh, of, of wine. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm running low. <laughs> now, now are you being classy or is this in a red solo cup, man? I just, I gotta know. Oh no, it's in a uh, tumbler, so it stays cold. Oh, just... nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go, man. Heck yeah, it's like a mini Yeti. It's pretty legit. Oh man, I love uh, the Yetis and the hydro flasks, and yeah, you know, that's talk about remarkable uh, technology. That's uh, um, you know, double insulated walls or whatever on cups. And I tell you what, dude, like keeps my my coffee hot and my uh, my beer cold. Love it. <laughs> Definitely. All right, Definitely. man. So. What is, uh, what's your number three, my man? So my number three, of course, has kind of been around for a little bit, but I like the traction that it's gaining in 2019 and kind of where it's going. So I'm going to talk about the GIS and BIM integrations um, in the kind of sector of where they are leading to smart cities. So Dude, I am all about, you know, green technology. I'm all about our carbon footprint, seeing what Kind of, <laughs> yes, dude. <laughs> I, I, I hug trees. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, ah, I knew there's a reason why you moved to, to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> I did get to go ahead and hug a few of those redwoods, though. That was pretty oh, awesome. Um, but <laughs> getting back to it, um, I like seeing what kind of impact, you know, we're going to have in our environment. And I think that as we get deeper into the integration with BIM and GIS, it really does help us do that and get an idea of what we can do to help, right? How much this is going to really, how much strain it's gonna put on the current systems, you know, the, the current infrastructure and, and what we can do to kind of get around that um, and really get to helping or, or designing for the future right now. You know, we're kind of, right now we're running behind. We're designing behind. We're trying to design for 
what we're getting, where we really should be designing and predicting for what we're you know, going to have in the future. That's where we need to be, right? And I think that this integration really helps with that. Now, I, I got some, some awesome statistics here, so I'm just going to go on a little rant. But are these, are these course, statistics we can quote you on? You can quote me on these. It was pretty oh, awesome. Right. Uh, yeah, maybe one time. <laughs> According to the UN, 68% of the global population will live in cities by 2050. And then while cities hold most of the world's wealth, they also produce 70% of CO2 emissions and consume two-thirds of energy worldwide. And as we're seeing in you know, the West Coast, I myself moved out here because I wanted to Kind of, I wanted to see what, what all the hype was about. <laughs> no. But you're seeing as more people move into the cities, the city's sustainability comes into question. I mean, Portland's infrastructure really has a hard time handling the, the load of people that it has. I mean, you're seeing this issue, uh, again, kind of worldwide. And cities are starting to use the IoT, the Internet of Things, to improve the quality of life for their citizens and start to kind of predict what is going to happen. So... I feel like, again, the more we get into this BIM and GIS integration, um, it, it can only lead to better things, better, smarter cities, essentially. You know what I mean? And it's kind of funny, but uh, I looked up the top six smartest cities for the United States in 2019. Number one was Austin, Texas. So that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. I like Austin, man. It's a mini uh, two Portland, was Boston, but, Massachusetts. Uh, three. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful city. It is a very beautiful city, though. It's very yeah. clean. A lot of but, lime scooters. Hey, man. Uh, it's that's my country, man. Texas is where <laughs> I uh, I grew up. I spent most of my life. Uh, we used to go down to Austin and do the South by Southwest. It's a great place, man. Love it. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to live there. Uh, no. So it's, it's a little little chaotic, but uh, it is a great yep. place to visit. Yep, you know, and it's funny, but number three is Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. And I grew up in northwest Indiana. You know, we'd go to Chicago here and there. But um, Chicago has been taking a lot of steps recently towards innovation, towards making their city better. Now, um, I don't want to live there either yet. Uh, it's very expensive. And uh, I, all but the good you, cities are, man. Yeah, yeah. All the good cities are. are. Um, it was Columbus, Ohio, number, and then you got Vegas and New York City. Okay. So I'm 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 kind of excited uh, if I'm uh, just seeing where this is going. Where well, this, I, where this can go as you know, BIM evolves. Well, I think we're kind of at the forefront of the whole green technology. Um, the, well, I'll say uh, smart cities, not green technology, rather. Smart cities. Um, and the reason is, um, you know, we're dealing with aging old infrastructure, and we have to first replace that in a way that makes sense that we can tap into. And, and I think we're starting to see the innovations, the, you know, the smarter roads, the smarter bridges, the, um, you know, monitoring the sensors all that stuff is actually mm -hmm. starting to play in so we can take advantage of that and this is a very you know this this topic to me is uh, the pivotal pivotal topic for bim right as we talk about the grandiose concept of bim bim at its core 
uh, is all about the whole life cycle of the building, right? We want to talk downstream. You know, how do you leverage BIM downstream? Well, mm-hmm. you talk about GIS data. I mean, that's really what it is, and that's how I got into it. Really, I, you know, I had that GIS background. I got into survey construction layouts and fell into Revit uh, that way. But um, GIS is where it all started. And I look at Revit and I think about, oh, this is GIS for a building. We can, you know, set up our queries in a certain way and get whatever information we want and do this stuff. But think about doing that across all buildings in a given area. Think about tapping into demographics. Um, and here's a taboo topic that people don't know about, but psychographics. Um, psychographics have been used for a long time in um, GIS. It's how uh, uh, presidential candidates know where to stop. Um, they uh, There's this company called Mosaic, um, or, or it's a product called Mosaic. It's owned by uh, one of the credit card companies, or credit monitoring bureaus. I think it's Experian. Um, they uh, they make this software and it analyzes all your your buying patterns, purchasing habits, and they lump you into categories like, oh, this person is 32% more likely to buy a boat, or this person would vote Democrat, or this person <laughs> would vote Republican. Like it analyzes the the uh, psychology of you based off of your your uh, spending habits, and you know you use that piece of plastic, you know, credit card or debit card to check out. They're um, they're tracking everything, you know, taboo topic, but that's what it is. Anyways, so they use that stuff to figure out where restaurants should go, where presidential candidates mm-hmm. should stop, like all that sort of stuff. Now, um, I've been chatting with this gentleman uh, on on LinkedIn who is they're kind of at the forefront. His company's at the forefront of this. They're they're doing GIS with um, with BIM and, uh, and and existing infrastructure to analyze um, socioeconomic impacts. Uh, so, you know, where to build, how to build, all that sort of stuff, but also uh, how to optimize uh, existing networks, existing infrastructure, that sort of stuff. Um, so you really do get the lowest cost of impact to an area. Like it's it's an amazing concept. Um, and we're just now getting to the point where uh, people are starting to implement. And you think about partnering that with uh, generative design and automated di- automation. Um, a lot of great things are coming. And I uh, mm-hmm. can't wait to talk about this more on the podcast. But that is that has got to be like the best, the best. I don't think you're going to top this topic, man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, I had to get another sip. Um, all right, man. Um, so my number three um, is, is, again, not as impressive as your topics. Uh, but uh, obviously, I think you put a little more uh, forethought into to coming up with these. Um, but uh, for me... The best thing of 2019, one of the best things of 2019, was HoloLens 2. And uh, yes, I don't have one in my hand, so that sucks. Uh, so if anybody wants to give me one, I'll give you my address. You can send it to me. Uh, but uh, HoloLens 2, the reason why I've got this on my list, um, you know, these mixed reality devices are becoming huge in construction. Uh, HoloLens 1, you know, had a lot of great use cases, but uh, um, as we start thinking about, you know, you're talking about uh, verification workflows. Well, think about validation. Uh, so much along the same lines, doing visual validation in a walkthrough, seeing, you know, what's installed. Imagine getting to the point where um, we could, uh, you know, a GC could walk a site and know that the subcontractors have completed their work packages um, and know to pay them, you know, do their payouts based off of the, yep. the work completed, all that stuff. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. Um, but what HoloLens 2 allows us to do is we can do that visual validation workflow, not necessarily 
um, do the pay app stuff just yet, but that's coming. Uh, um, visual punch, which is awesome. We talked about being able to walk a job site and do punch, but also being able to access punch list items uh, in a um, uh, you know headset. Uh, mixed reality headset and be able to, you know, overlay that uh, in, in the in the building itself, right? So I walk through a building and I've got a little check that pops up and says, oh, well, let's click that and see what that is. Oh, well, there's issues with this room. Um, or maybe I'm doing, you know, walking through the room and I want to record, hey, look, there's this issue over here. My headset's recording. I, uh, you know, snap photo or whatever automatically uploads and I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. Um, BIM in the headset on the job site, again, like the headsets in general are, are phenomenal, but um, the uh, functionality that came out with HoloLens 2 um, blows away the competition in my mind um, and, uh, you know, partner that with something like Visual Live 3D or something like that. There's there's a lot of amazing applications out there, and uh, I'm excited to see, um, you know, what HoloLens 3 looks like, right? But uh, um, today, I, somebody just sent me a HoloLens 2, and I'll be happy. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's your number? F- just moving right along. What's your number four? So my number four, actually, uh, you kind of hinted towards it there at the end of the the smart cities talk, but it was generative generative design for 2019. And one big thought, one big part of this, I would think, um, from a base level at least, would be Dynamo, right? We're seeing Dynamo kind of everywhere, and it's being pushed to so many different like levels. It's awesome. Um, Revit 2020 actually deploys with Dynamo, and you start seeing Dynamo behind the scenes with uh, commands like propagate connections, right? They've actually put it into Revit now for 2020 of the structure. And essentially, that works right into generative design when you're putting in parameters, right? You're just telling it what to look for. Um, the great thing is they also give you what that dynamo manager and the dynamo manager has a library of scripts that you can look through and adopt. Um, if you, if you want to use them now for me, I kind of like going through those scripts, uh, for a couple of reasons. One of course is to kind of backwards engineer it and learn how, um, it works so I can understand the language of dynamo because dynamo itself is a, is a different kind of way of thinking, right? In, in Revit, you go to the command, you start the command, you know, if I'm drawing a wall, I go to wall, I type in WA, right? And then I draw my wall across however far I need, and then I just go. With Dynamo, it's more about thinking of every process that goes into that command, right? And then kind of manipulating it, telling it whatever you need to. Um, And you can also kind of make adjustments to them, right? You don't have to go through and completely tear it up and, and scrap it. You just kind of see where it's going, what the flow is, and then where you need adjustments, you kind of make them. You pull them from your library of nodes, right? And and you kind of just put them in and string them together. Now, the the great thing is it's, again, you're specifying the parameters on it, whether it's going to be like a column to column, you know, a concrete column to steel column. You got a base plate that needs to be welded here and here, what type of weld you're going to use the bolt patterns, et cetera, right? You can start to expand on that. And I see it becoming very helpful with things like your design options, right? Really optimizing your space. But 
if I can tie back into the whole, you know, BIM and GIS, if you can actually combine that data to understand the footprint of the site and the environment that you're going to put that building in, right? You actually lay that building on the site and you can run several, let's say, scripts, right? Through your parameters, let's say, you know what type of building that you want, you know um, what you need to do in that building, and it's going to go ahead and start kind of giving you options for layout. If you need a specific square footage, what type of you know layout you need with that in terms of mechanical systems, and again, what type of materials are best in that area, and and just combining it all together for the best overall kind of budget, right, and then time, and I think that it all comes together, man. If you're even looking at, let's say, and this is going to be again right up on the bandwagon that I'm st that I seem to be staying on this episode, but BIM 360 Insight. Let's say that you take the analytics of all of the projects in, in terms of any issues, the RFIs, um, all of the in the inner workings of a project in general. If they're they're falling behind the timeline, what it looks like, how much these these projects cost, right? Because if you're putting the information in as in what type of project is it whether it's a wastewater treatment facility you know this is just a commercial building it's going to be you know six seven stories whatever it's going to help you not even just bid the project itself right but also kind of help in the design itself just being able to say okay this is what industry i'm in again this is what square foot lot i'm looking at and this is the information of the community around it. How would my building, how would I best optimize this space and go? And then it's going to print yeah, you like a playbook. That's an important uh, thing to note as we talk about building faster, stronger, um, and, you know, with less, right? Um, you know, we're, we're having to figure out how to build stronger, how to build for these next catastrophic events and, you know, mm -hmm. so that we don't have to have a, you know, you know, you know, tear down a building and rebuild it in 50 years. You know, how do we make that 70 year building? Like, how do we figure that out um, so that, you know, we can catch up to the growing demands of the growing population? So and fix all the aging infrastructure and all that stuff. So, yeah, this yep. is, again, you are hitting the more important topics. And I feel like such a, uh, <laughs> a lazy bum for talking about uh, product specific things, your concepts uh, that you're mentioning are, are phenomenal, and I think they they definitely do play uh, very big to the future. And when when you said uh, when you started by saying, "Oh, and this touches on before," I knew you were going to jump right into uh, Dynamo. <laughs> you are a Dynamo fanatic. You you touted oh, it. I, love I, it. I had the privilege of uh, sitting uh, next to a gentleman on the plane uh, that's been writing Dynamo Dynamo scripts for about three years now, and uh, he's got you know his scripts are some of the most used. He does very phenomenal work, um, and I'm not going to give him a shout out because it's in a transitional period right now. But um, the uh, stuff that there that he was able to come up with is used by everybody. It's great, and uh, uh, Dynamo is really a game changer. And I liken it to um, the early days of CAD when everybody talks about you know Lisp routines. I say early days, uh, it's probably uh, way later, but uh, running running <laughs> Lisp routines. Um, and, and, you know, doing a bit of coding and all that stuff, right? <laughs> We've got to do that kind of legwork for Dynamo, but those, uh, everybody shared list routines. Like 
you know, we, you know, there's a few that you might covet for yourself and you know, you don't want to share because you figured something out, but we, you know, we couldn't wait to share that. And I say, we, I'm like way past list routines. I, I have no idea. I, I could write like one or two, maybe basic ones. Don't, don't ask me, don't talk to me about list routines. I know nothing, but, uh, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, uh, um, you know, everybody was openly sharing them. I could Google a list routine and somebody would, you know, you know, be showing me how to, how to start it, or they'd be all over the forums, uh, uh, answering questions. Oh yeah. Have you thought about this? Same way with coding in general, Dynamo has a similar following. Like there's a, a, a quite the, uh, repository of people out there that are willing to help out with anything Dynamo, uh, related and Dynamo's crossing multiple platforms. Now where you used to think of Dynamo for Revit, Dynamo is in the civil space now. Um, in fact, it just got an advertisement for some symposium and the East coast somewhere. I don't remember where New, New Jersey, I think, where they're going to be talking about Dynamo and Civil, uh, or at least they said they would. They're, it's only an hour-long session, so I don't think they can cover it. But that said, uh, Dynamo uh, is crossing multiple boundaries. It's uh, it's a great tool when uh, if you're starting to look at, at uh, that generative design, or if you just want to solve complex problems at a much more um, uh, uh, you know sc- you know holistic scale, right? So uh, you mentioned the um, uh, placing. Uh, you know, concrete, you know, columns and all that stuff, but actually having mm-hmm. the, the the proper material in between, all that sort of stuff, being able to place that, uh, that that makes sense. Um, that's a perfect application, but also thinking about things that the program doesn't do, right? Um, so if I wanted to share information between Fabrication Cat MEP, and again, I always come back to MEP, but if I wanted to share information between Fabrication Cat MEP and Revit, uh, certain information doesn't come across, like certain Revit uh, elements are locked, certain fabrication elements are locked. That information's, mm-hmm. you know, static and dead. I can't do anything with it. But I can use the power of fabrication or the power of Dynamo rather to actually activate those and actually share that information and populate, you know, sheets and all that stuff. So Dynamo is a great problem solver for uh, rigid, you know, very complex or even very simplistic. Um, things that should work but that just don't work for whatever reason dynamo is a great tool to uh to overcome those uh knowledge gaps or i guess uh, shortcomings not knowledge gaps shortcomings of the program definitely yeah um sorry man i always jump off on rants on you dude you're doing a great job <laughs> no, i don't, you I don't mean to talk yet. over you i just got no. a lot to say I'm a no dude guy. i love it i love it that's what we're here for that's yeah. what this is for i love oh, it man i talk technology with everybody and i feel like you know i've, I've I've been um, very lucky in learning from everybody because uh, I'm a dunce, guys. I, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm not the expert. Uh, um, you know, the way I learn is from everybody else. Every everybody else has paved the way. They've they're doing the the hard work, uh, and you know, our, my generation, the younger guys. Uh, you know, I say younger. I'm 35 and balding, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we uh you know we're we're piggybacking off everybody else's success we're we're you know we're seeing what everybody did we're seeing the best ways to implement technology and uh uh bim you know having that whole change management and having the strategy and having you know being able to implement the new technology and talk about features somebody else is solving these pain points uh and i'm just piggybacking on it guys so i take no credit for any of it uh i am merely a beacon that is sh- uh, trying to share as much information that I, that I can gather. Yep. Yep. All right, man. So, uh, I think I've rambled enough. Uh, let's, uh, jump on to my number four. Um, 
My number four, uh, again, probably less exciting overall than your amazing concepts and uh, <laughs> um, uh, talk tracks there, bud. But uh, BIM 360 for Civil. Uh, so if you guys aren't familiar with um, uh, collaboration for Civil, uh, it's a very powerful tool. David, you released a video over this on LinkedIn. I share it. I share everything you do, man. You uh, pr produce some you know, great tips and tricks, and um, uh, thank you for putting that out there. But the reason why this is a uh, big thing for me is uh, as somebody who came from the survey world and sharing civil files is never fun. Um, we have things called like data shortcuts. Um, we have uh, um, – uh, survey databases and all these complex things because Civil 3D is really a giant calculator with a visualization engine essentially. It's AutoCAD with a, calcul a large calculator behind it. Um, uh, it is, you know, no offense to anybody, it is my least favorite Autodesk product, not because of any of its shortcomings, but because it is the biggest product and the most cumbersome to learn or I guess learn, learn and be uh, an expert at. Uh, so if you are an expert at Civil 3D, my hat's off to you. Um, but the reason why I am a big fan of collaboration for Civil is uh, sharing Civil files required in the past, um, uh, or at least collaborating on Civil files, required really complex uh, solutions such as Vault. Vault is a great tool, um, you know, less used in the Civil space, I guess, more multidiscipline, more manufacturing side. But what Vault does is it allows us to um, uh, lock files and, and uh, you know, do version controlling and all that stuff. But having that same functionality inside of Civil 3D with BIM 360 now makes that uh, less of a pain, pro pain point. Um, and uh, now it's actually a lower cost, you know, uh, problem to solve. I've had customers, you know, reach out to us and try to find solutions. And they've, you know, did, you know, some mix of like Ignite or, or uh, uh, I'm not going to name the other ones, but a lot of great tools that uh, uh, we happen to, you know, have specialties in. But, you know, they're really expensive packages that are like $400,000 or, you know, $200,000, depending on the size of your company and how many <laughs> locations you want to share between. Uh, BIM 360 actually comes in and solves that at like next to nothing, you know, where we were spending $200,000 uh, to solve a pain point and then, you know, $50,000 a year, $80,000 a year, however much it was to maintain it um, and have, you know, complex IT infrastructure. We don't have to have that anymore. Now we can we can share our files, do the file locking, do all that stuff um, and have it all stored in the cloud. Um, and that workflow to, to point out something that you you shared on uh, on, on your LinkedIn that I that I reposted was uh, being able to tap into Revit, so you can share it with not just Civil 3D users, right? But I want to share that mm -hmm. file for other project stakeholders. Uh, so not just internally, but externally. Say I want to use a Civil file. How is that uh, engineer going to, you know, share his um, uh, surface with me? Um, you can throw it up in BIM 360, and I can link to that surface directly in Revit. So that was a, a very uh, powerful uh, thing. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. You know, the one, the one, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I love it too. I have one issue with it so far and I hate to call it out, but. Hey, um, so let me get solved as if you call it yes, out. Yes. You know, I, I haven't liked the fact that I cannot, um, send my building footprint. I cannot send anything back into civil. So, you know, with 2019 you, and before you used to be able to export an ADSK file, and send that back to civil for the for the building footprint right so essentially right now um i'm still looking for a way to send information back to the civil side on on where my building is located 
and update that in, in terms of not even just where it's located, where um, everything, all the utilities are needed, where my building's positioned due to that, things like that. I mean, that's, that's a lot of, I think, vital information. So I, I'm excited that we have this connection. And I think that those are being, you know, those issues are being worked on. So I'm still excited to kind of see where this goes, but I want to see, I do want to see that, uh, that adjustment be made. That would be nice. So, and that's, that's a great uh, thing to highlight. I know in the past we had this ability to, uh, and this is specifically thinking about uh, uh, structural components of a bridge, but we used to be able to do this uh, back and forth, right? We would open up civil 3d and Revit. We would, uh, I think it was called the, uh, um, the bridge structural add-in or whatever, uh, I don't know if it's available anymore. Actually, you know, I need to get back into this workflow because I really liked it because um, I was touting this whole InfoWorks thing. But um, what it did is it allowed us to open Revit. We had to have Revit and Civil 3D both open. Um, and if we, you know, made a change in one, it would update in our other program. It was an amazing workflow. Um, so I'm just thinking, like, maybe there's something like that that we're missing, or maybe it's something that's yet to come. But uh the technology is there you know we just got to figure out a way to to make it uh talk and work work with each other i guess if, if it's if they sense remove that functionality you yep. know what i'm talking about right right it was the i'm not, I'm not going crazy it was the like the civil bridges structural plug-in yeah the yeah it was a uh the structural like bridge design or something like that i think it was or, yeah it's, um, it's been a few years since i played integrated it, so. bridge analysis i think something yeah it, it's been a while since i've since i've played with it too i'm, I'm reaching here honestly yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think i think it was the uh i think it was called like bridge design bridge structural bridge tools or something like that but it was like um uh civil 3d or something like that but anyways yeah, it allowed us to bridge design software infoworks yeah. inventor civil 3d revit yeah structural yeah, bridge yeah. design Oops. So back in, I think it was like 2017, I touted this workflow. So it's been quite a few years. But what I would do is I would uh, I would go into InfoWorks. Uh, and again, I think I just shared a video of this on LinkedIn not too long ago. But I want to do I want to do it again, and I want to do it in more depth. But I want to uh, tap into InfoWorks for preliminary design, conceptual design, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, simplistic, but using the standard Ashto tables or whatever. Set up a bridge, you know, set up some design roads, some on ramps coming off of it. But then what I can do is I can export that to both Civil 3D and Revit. What happens is when I export it to Revit, it's creating Revit families for me. Um, if I kick that uh, the the corridors and everything, uh, I think actually InfoWorks is uh, surfaces only. But uh, if I kick that over to um, Civil 3D, what I can then do is, uh, assuming that tool is still available for 2020, um, I can open Revit Civil 3D side by side. Um, and if as I adjust the uh, the you know structure uh, of my bridge and Revit or whatever, it'll update my civil 3D or at least the spaces that it's occupying. So it was just a really cool workflow. And I, since we're talking about uh, linking your civil and your Revit, I, you know, I feel like that technology is there. We just have to uh, do some more digging and uh, uh, maybe maybe one of our listeners knows more about it and, and can give us a shout out and uh, tag us and, and uh, give us an update. That'd be awesome. It would. But um, uh, the, you know, the whole civil thing is, you know, civil hasn't gotten the love in my mind, right? You know, they get no. subtle fixes and bugs. Uh, meanwhile, the construction industry is all standardizing on, on new technology. Uh, civil SIM, civil information modeling, something that we've been striving 
towards for a while mostly happens post-construction. It's something that we think about um, as by implementing GIS and that way we, you know, incorporate GIS into our next set of uh, construction. You know, where are all the uh, manholes and all that stuff located? Uh, where's all the underground pipe? Like, like we, we can, um, you know, create base maps and have all that information uh, populate based off the GIS database. So we kind of had that workflow for civil. But we didn't have it on, say, like um, you know, new construction. We're not we're not thinking of a holistic civil 3D model that everybody's working off and leveraging that uh, that uh, connectivity, that collaboration, um, kind of gets chopped off. Uh, we never had that monolithic, um, you know, that single source civil 3D file that everybody interacts with, like we do with Revit. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we move to that kind of mindset with Sim. Uh, I think we'll start seeing a lot more uh, use cases for BIM 360 for civil really take off. And it really just brings infrastructure and horizontal construction into the cloud where, you know, uh, vertical constructions are, you know, it's been for, you know, we talk about BIM 360 as it's a new concept, but vertical construction has been in the cloud for, for many years. It, it definitely has. And it's just, we're, we're seeing different ways of processing, collaborating, well, processing the information that, you know, construction being in the cloud, it, it's just been a bunch of siloed, really, it's been a bunch of silos. Now it's about really trying to bring it together for everybody to understand on how to improve um, their processes, their different workflows, how to how to improve, um, okay, or, or really see, I guess, not really into the future, but see their shortcomings, you know, actually have it here documented saying, okay, these subcontractors have lacked on these you know, these projects and, and so forth. Oh, yeah, the, the predictive analytics component of, of construction technology is really starting to take shape. And I think it'll be, you know, maybe three, four years before we actually start getting some useful data out of it, or at least starting to realize that, you know, maybe we need to look at how the data is structured. But mm-hmm. uh, the fact that we're already doing pattern recognition, predictive analytics, and uh, eventually we'll be doing AI with uh, the construction technology to know, you know, one about bidding, but also about the subcontractors involved, the type of projects, yep. type of risks, um, applying mm-hmm. risk factors, risk success, analyzing previous risk factors to uh, um, um, provide assessments and all that stuff. Yep. Really makes this powerful. And if you think about like uh, where this all is going to go, you know, we're going to think about um, uh, insurance companies are going to start mandating such technology. Like there's going to be uh, a shift in mindset <laughs> you know, maybe 10 years from now when when we've got real finite data but uh, uh yeah the cloud for construction that's a that's a big one so I your agree. next your next one though is this um uh, are you ranking yours is it like you know we started with five we're going down to one one's gonna be the best or are you just throwing them out willy-nilly like i am um a little bit of both i think i've been trying to as i'm flipping through my notebook here i'm like which one would be and i've been actually i, I have been ranking them so i think um this one would be my number one but you know i'm kind of iffy but you know what we'll write it out it's gonna be my number one yep all right and uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna commitment, go with mo- commitment i'm committed um it is modular construction oh so, man yeah modular construction it is dude i mean i i saw that skender was actually the modular builder of the year this year so shout out to skender um i i really it's funny though, the more I got into modular construction, I mean, I love the fact that these buildings can go together so quickly. I love the amount of waste they can reduce. Um, it's just 
when you really start looking into this industry, you start seeing the more that it's becoming apparent that we need it, right? Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's kind of crazy that the modular construction really only constitutes 3% of the North American construction market right now. But, but I guess according to Built World, you know, Built World survey, 79% anticipate modular construction's market share to increase at a faster rate over the next five years than it has in the previous. So, So, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so, uh, we, you know, I, I'm on board with you, modular construction. Again, you're freaking blowing me out of the water because you're, you obviously did, did a little more research and thought, thought more holistically about, uh, uh, the concepts. Um, I, again, I'm picking apart, you know, uh, tools. So props to you, my man, props to you. But <laughs> nah, dude. This is a huge one, uh, as all of yours, uh, so far have been, this is a huge one. You're talking about modular construction. And the reason why this is so revolutionary is like, you know, you think about your, your tree hugging, your redwoods and whatnot, but uh, 40, <laughs> 40% of all waste in the U.S. comes from construction pro- uh, projects. Um, yes. You know, 20, I, it's crazy, but, but the average waste of a commercial project is 3.9 pounds per square foot of the building area. Damn. They found that, that it was like, what, 8,000? It's estimated that at 8,000 pounds of waste is typically created from the construction of a typical 2,000 square foot home. 8,000 pounds of waste from a 2,000 square foot home. You can imagine how that increases as, of course, you get into commercial buildings. Yeah, and a lot of it's, you know, surplus uh, building materials, uh, you know, mm-hmm. smaller cuts, stuff that we can't use. So figuring out ways to recycle this, and there's a lot of companies that are focusing on that, so props to them. Um, but if we can, you know, weed out the um, the cause of it and actually move to modular construction where we're, we're wasting less, we're managing our supply chain in such a tighter, tighter uh, supply, tighter uh, um, uh, tolerance, um, mm-hmm. but also um, – it also allows us to do a few more things. It allows us to build faster, which is something I'm always a fan of. Uh, okay. It also allows us not – so we're talking about reducing waste, but it also allows us to reduce costs, cost in labor, cost in, in materials wasted, um, and costs saved in, in the you – know, again, the speed of the project and being able to deliver on time and all that stuff. Um, oh, yeah. I, I follow quite a few people that are you know, uh, pioneering the whole uh, MEP prefab side of stuff. Uh, we're talking modular skids, uh, all trades uh, coordinated on on these uh, skids, um, and we've we've you know had the privilege of uh, being a part of a few. Um, they're they're you know tremendous at how much uh, communication takes place, documenting that communication and the the, the yep. coordination. Coordination is key, right? It's it's the biggest thing, especially we talk about multiple trades on one piece, but. My whole the thing that I've loved before I even you know started going down this path of uh, uh, you know construction layout and all this stuff you know years ago say you know uh, decade plus um, a buddy of mine bought uh, those uh, shipping container you know the mm-hmm. the, the surplus of shipping containers that we had from around 2007 2006 whatever we had a whole bunch of them around and he bought a few of them and he was building on his house in the uh, Austin area the Hill Country. Of Texas, and I'd go down there, and we, you know, we'd try to do some stuff, and we were just thinking about, you know, modularized prefabbed 
these, sell them, and then have them, you know, connect together like Legos. And those started popping up all over the place. But that's really where construction's getting is these prefab modular rooms or components that are just, you know, assembled, bolted, welded, uh, connected, whatever, all on site um, so that it just goes up so much faster. Yep. I mean, so I've got a few more statistics and shout outs that I want to do with this. But if I can segue kind of, I, I really want to go into it. If you're looking at laying out something like that, right, um, putting these prefabricated parts, these modular pieces together and, and fitting them into the building layout is going to be key. Oh, layout, yeah. holding those points, those measurements, but also, again, shout out to uh, the GTL 1000, taking a scan of those current conditions to give a picture of exactly what's going on right there. And as they're designing, of course, they've got all those points and everything should, I mean, and it does. That's what you're seeing on a lot of these projects. As long as they hold that control and that accuracy, these pieces are just going together. I love it's how awesome. all yours tied together, man. Like everyone yeah. in here is like, hey, you know what? We could build smarter cities if we implemented GIS and got into uh, modular construction. And like they all fit, man. You, you it is. Well done, dude. Bravo. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Putting putting me in a negative light, man. I got to step it up, dude. <laughs> no. Or I just you need know, to drink more, more scotch so that I, I forget how awesome you are and uh, <laughs> just deal with my own shortcomings. Oh, no. Oh no! It, you, it's it's sorry. Up? Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say you mentioned something to me before, and I don't know if you're gonna get into it now, but um, these pop-up modular um, uh, buildings, essentially, and this is what I was thinking yep. about, you know, because they kind of tie into the smart city. If you talk about GIS data, BIM and GIS, but uh, being able to do those modular things and move them around, I think you were mentioning relocatable. Yeah, yeah. Relocatable buildings. It's it's fantastic technology. It really is to actually say, okay, this building doesn't work here, but based off, or, or it's actually a test building to go ahead and see what this building does in these types of conditions in this environment and be able to pick that building up and reuse it as something else. If that building doesn't work here, which is a lot of what we've seen with the stick built industry is that businesses fail over time, you know, what have you, and the buildings are left to degrade. Imagine if you can pick that building up and use it for something else, move it somewhere yeah. else. That's awesome, man. That, I mean, I you, love it. It's, it really is a fantastic idea, right? And if we can adopt it, I think that would be very amazing, not only with ensuring like confidence in owners when they go to invest in these buildings and saying that, you know, I want to put this here. I think that this type of business would do well here. Actually providing them with the statistics of that area with that type of business saying, you know what, you're going to do well here or we feel like you would do better here. Yeah, that's the whole GIS side of stuff, right? We we would analyze uh, where restaurants should go and then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, do buffer, uh, you know, driving buffers and stuff for uh, the ideal population uh, demographics and try to figure out where the the biggest swarm people are that way they have, um, you know, a higher chance of, of, of succeeding like that. That's been around, but actually being able to tap into the whole relocatable buildings and all that stuff. I think that's a very uh, promising, uh, you know, concept for the future, especially for me who uh, I hate seeing big stores fail. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I don't shop at too many big stores, but uh, we all have to at some point in our lives. Yep. But, um, you know, seeing the uh, uh, the empty, you know, Best Buys or the, 
the Sears Kmart. Sears, Kmart, Toys R Us, Toys R Us. Toys R Us, yeah. That hit me hard. Uh, definitely hit me hard. I know they're trying to come back in a small scale, but I've got a, I've got one of those in my neighborhood. But uh, you know, nobody comes in and swoops in and, and takes over those spaces because they're so ginormous and they require such yep. an investment. Finding that perfect uh, uh, buyer is kind of hard. In fact, the you know, in 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 uh, reality, the best buyer is probably the one that put them out of business. Amazon, right? Turning it into a large distribution center probably makes more sense, as they're doing yep. with some malls in Ohio and stuff. But, <laughs> but having a, a smaller type of building that either can be a easily converted um, or something that could be broken up and uh, segmented uh, in a much more realistic manner because nobody's going to take over that amount of square footage, uh, and it makes a really weird way to chop it up. So. Um, yep. I, I think that that's, uh, you know, props to anybody that solves this issue because, uh, I am sick of seeing, uh, the empty Toys R Uses. like somebody come out and figure out a way to, to chop them up into more manageable spaces. Um, yep. yeah, I thought about, uh, so back in Oregon, they have this, you're familiar with this, I'm sure, but this amazing, uh, bowling alley arcade place, uh, slash sports bar called, uh, Big Al's phenomenal all you know beautiful architecture cross laminated timbers all open area love it great concept I'm like man just every every time i see a a rundown uh toys r us i'm, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like you know we'll really go really good there uh, big owls or something but uh, um anyways man sorry get, get off topic no, my bad you're all good you're all good uh, that's what i we um it is what we do it really is <laughs> But uh, I, I had four kind of four things to highlight with this, right? Okay. Modular construction is impacting, of course, a lot of different industries. And one that I've saw or seen, excuse me, is the uh, like the hospitality being one. Um, you've seen hotels, right? You're starting to see modular hotels. Um, Hilton and Marriott have actually embraced modular construction in June. Hilton opened its first modular built hotel in 16 months. And that was less than a year after the modular components arrived on the site. It was a 57,000 square foot building and four stories tall. The and, cheapest owners you'll ever run into are uh, hotels. Uh, yep. Every hotel, no offense. Hotels build cheap. Everything in there, um, uh, they're, they're, they're bickering for the lowest price. Um, so that said... It makes sense that they'll get in, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, denigrating them in any way. I'm just saying, it, it's a fact. It is what it is. Uh, yep. But uh, so it definitely makes sense that they they jump on this modular bandwagon because the cost savings uh, have to be significant. Yep. But I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's great that you're seeing this, but it's kind of crazy at the same time because you're seeing this adoption take place and kind of integrated with. Um, traditional um, construction methods like the Marriott, uh, they're building one in, in New York City. It's like a $65 million, 360 foot tall building. Um, they actually are traditionally building the restaurant in the lobby. And they're estimating that the assembly of the modular units will take like 90 days. And they're topping it off with a rooftop bar. And they're estimating I construction of this project at the rate of a floor per day. Yeah, it's that's remarkable. I have you seen those time lapse videos of the uh, the Chinese um, uh, skyscrapers going up in a month? No, that's or amazing. A week or whatever it is, it's some something insane. But 
that's where we got to get to. And, uh, you know, hell yeah, we're awesome. We do everything better in America. We're fantastic. America. But when it comes to construction technology, damn it, we are laggards. And yes, we'll get we there. Are. We'll get there. We'll get there. I have, I have full faith in, in, in us and uh, our industry. And damn it, we're better than everybody else. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can you edit that out, man? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, right. <laughs> now, America. I did have another one towards the the kind of greener side of me, right? The the uh, hippie, hippie kind of side yeah, of me. Yeah. yeah, the hippie side of me. Um, there's a company out of California, Factory OS, right? They're they're actually constructing um, 1,300 square foot homes that are being assembled in four hours from foundation to turning the lights on. Wow. Four hours. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, in that sense, I kind of, you know, yes, you got to look at the, the cost of it. Yes, you have to look at where they're putting these. But I mean, we have a huge um, homeless epidemic going on the West Coast. Yeah, if we yeah, can start. But the issue with the homeless epidemic has nothing to do with the amount of houses that we have. No, it's the cost of living. Yeah. It is the cost of living. And if you think about producing these smaller homes for a fraction of the cost. But and the it, cost takes... of the house in California has nothing to do with the house itself. The cost That's of the house true. in California is the land that it's on, which is, you know, in, in the taxes that go with it. Uh, not, again, not denigrating California. It's a beautiful place to live if you can afford to live there. Um, and, you know, obviously some cheap parts are more expensive in, than the others. But um, there, there's just simply, you know, a supply and demand issue uh, with real estate in those cities, so there's no land to really put a, put people at, and uh, they're not the desirable locations, I guess. So if somebody had to live a little bit further out, um, yeah, they could build for cheaper. The land, though, is you know, if you're an hour from the ocean, the land's still, no matter what coast you're on, if you're an hour from the ocean, the land's probably pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. I just like the idea of it, like those, uh, gosh, they were almost like jigsaw houses. I like the idea of being able to construct these smaller, easier kind of fit together homes um, that aren't as big as as what you're seeing around, like these these typical subdivisions and things like that. Um, but then what's the difference between doing something like that, uh, if we're talking for affordability wise, something mm-hmm. uh, like that versus, a, you know, a mobile home or, you know, manufactured, pre-manufactured home or something? Like, because the cost of living on or cost of those are are pretty insignificant when looking at a real house. Again, it You're comes right. back to the cost of the land. Because you can get a, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I've never bought a, a mobile home. I, I have several friends I did, but I imagine you can get a pretty decent mobile home for about eighty thousand um, dollars. But to put that on a piece of property and uh, well, and, you know, on the coast anywhere, it's going to cost you another one hundred and fifty, two hundred and fifty, three hundred fifty thousand dollars, depending on where you are. I agree with that to a degree, but at the same time, I feel like it's more of the manufactured homes that now we're starting to see an increase in the, in the technology for manufactured and modular homes um, that is getting better and better. But oh, the issues yeah, of no, the past. No doubt. It's going to strengthen that industry uh, yeah. wholeheartedly. Like I, I, I believe what you're saying. I, I'm, I was just uh, playing devil's advocate on the. Um, oh, yeah. No, dude, the, I got you. On the cost of living thing, like that's yeah. Uh, I, I was just mean like, yeah. I, I I just mean more like I see it as the cost of materials. You know, as we can start 3D printing materials and things like oh, yeah. that, you can integrate it. 
into a process of where we can literally 3D print these materials that are going to be optimized for like, let's say thermal properties for the area that you're putting it in. And oh, it's yeah. able to be, you know, kind of set together. I feel like a lot of that is going to be, it, well, it's going to help our footprint overall. Where, there it goes it back that, to the hippie in me. Was it you that sent me the, I get a lot of links. I'm assuming it was you that sent me the uh, uh, largest 3D printed house in the U.S. or in the world. Yeah, yeah. Heck that yeah. was pretty cool. That was a, that was a good, uh, good, good share. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So what's your oh. number? Uh, what is it? Number five? Because we, we're kind of going, we're going I, backwards here. I, I, went, I, I went five to one. You're going one to five. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Because I, I wouldn't ap- apply a necessary hierarchy to any one thing. I think I'm equally excited uh, about my topics as a whole. That said, I am more excited about your topics. <laughs> uh, I think that the, the thing that you pointed out, Again, I, I I would I wish I had thought had the forethought to think through those uh, because uh, those are definitely the the things I'd rant about for hours. As you say, I interrupted you, so I apologize. Um, my my last one in no particular order. Um, uh, you know, we've got a, a kind of I don't know how to classify him a work friend, a former employee turned developer. Uh, who's maintained a great relationship with us, uh, Rod Gabaugh. He uh, heads up uh, the, the U.S. Uh, portion of this this tool. It's called iConstruct, um, you know, being able to save IFCs and uh, all that stuff, like little ancillary um, um, uh, features that make it great and people, you know, pick apart things like, the, you know, they think that, that is definitely worth the cost. That's why they use it. Um, me, I'm highlighting it. Again, it's been around longer than 2019, but I'm highlighting it specifically for things that came out in 2019 or things that were brought to my attention in 2019 and because I found out a lot about where it's going. Um, so iConstruct produced this tool this year called Clash. And if you're familiar with uh, uh, Sherlock, uh, the um, you know low-cost clash detection tool, um, you know, I think it's like 700 bucks a year or something like that. Very inexpensive way to do clash, clash detection. Uh, for in a very easy to use uh, environment. Well, iConstruct came out with their own tool for that, much more powerful. Um, Rob's team, they develop a great product. They put out some phenomenal stuff. That said, the full version of iConstruct, not just the lightweight clash viewers, but the you know whole package, phenomenal. They have tools like uh, BIMflow. And I don't know if you're familiar with BIMflow, but we can essentially automate the clash detection process for us. Not just clash detection. I say clash detection. Clash detection is the small piece of coordination. It's just telling us where objects are interfering, rather interference checking. Coordination is a bigger concept, you know, breaking it down by, hey, you know, ignore this, ignore this, or this is a real issue, or assign this to who, all that stuff. We can apply that level of automation to iConstruct. Um, and there's integrations coming with BIM 360, which he was showing off at AU, which is why I'm bringing it up because I am on that bandwagon. I'm on team BIM 360, uh, at least for pre-construction. Um, and, you know, BIM 360 coordinates a great tool, but iConstruct just elevates those features to the next level. Um, you know, visualization and color coding, pretty standard. Uh, but the way that it does it and with ease, phenomenal. So we talk a lot about like Revizo and all the other, um, uh, you know, coordination um, adjacent tools um, I construct in my mind is got that same level of uh, ease of use but it actually has like a real power 
uh, powerful engine behind it. Uh, we can do things like advanced work packaging. And if you're not familiar with advanced work packaging, but you know, you know, think about being able to streamline your uh, processes to a point where you can get like a thousand percent ROI. Phenomenal. So, iConstruct. If you haven't heard of it, check it out. Phenomenal tool. I'm not paid sponsor. I just love their products. Uh, check out iConstruct. Have you played with uh, iConstruct? Sorry, man. I'm like giving like a. <laughs> uh, no, you're uh, good. I haven't uh, I haven't been able to play with iConstruct yet. No, I need to license? get it installed. Do you get your license or I mean, do you have? A I license? need to get like I don't oh. have a license yet. No, I need to get a license. We will get that taken care of, man. We'll get that taken care of. Yeah, uh, Rob Gadbaugh's team uh, over at iConstruct they produce great great stuff. Uh, Gadbaugh is they've got a phenomenal development team. We work with them on a lot of stuff. Um, and I'm just really proud of, of uh, the work that they've done. And I know it didn't start with them, but they're they're adding a lot of stuff to it and uh, really showcasing the power. So if you didn't see him at Autodesk University, uh, reach out to Rob Gadbaugh. He's got some amazing stuff coming down the pipe that he really wants to show off, especially as it integrates with BIM 360 and Forge and all this stuff. So, um, uh, uh, you know, take, you know, that's one of those things to to flag for later, you know, keep it. If you, if you don't get to it today, at least flag it for later so that you can look back on it. Like, Oh yeah, yeah. I heard that. I heard about this product, uh, uh, like two years ago on, you know, brewing with BIM. Um, you heard it here first. (laughs) Ah, I need more scotch. (laughs) Um, so, uh, again, I think you had much more grand concepts. Uh, we've been watching, my wife and I have been watching this show lately called, um, uh, what is it called? Baller and budget or something like that. Ball, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, two brothers go on vacation and it's a competition. Uh, and you know, one ends up uh, being the baller has like $2,000 to spend in the area. The other one has to spend a hundred dollars. They have to stay for you know two days or whatever and eat and all that stuff. Um, I just want to say, if we were doing that concept today, you would have kicked my butt. Uh, You you were definitely balling, and I was definitely uh, on a budget with my uh, my topics. Uh, You came prepared, so I want to thank you for for uh, providing those statistics. Those are statistics we will quote you on, um, unlike the (laughs) statistics of of past episodes. But uh, yes, uh, anything you want to say in in uh, in closing? I just want to say thanks for another great episode. I think this was a lot of fun. I always enjoy sitting down to have these conversations with you, um, talking about technology and, and BIM, uh, you know, with like-minded individuals is always, uh, always a good time. It really is. And uh, it, it allows us not only to, you know, share information, but to learn. And I think that's the goal of everyone at the end of the day is to just keep learning and to see what's out there. I I learn so much from you know this podcast you know not that we have tens of thousands of followers yet but we've got a significant number and uh, you guys reach out to us at least a good majority of you do, you guys do uh, I get a lot of notes uh, and you know I have great conversations um, and it's actually you know helped me learn about stuff that I didn't even know about things that people are already trying and working on um, and I you know I like to think of myself as somebody that's pretty up up on on the technology. But uh, made me really realize that uh, I didn't, I know nothing. I I am um, I am. We have uh, so much to learn. I am a luddite. So much. In all this, I I am. I yes, I bow to all of you guys, uh, and I can't wait to have you guys on this podcast. Those that reached out that that uh, expressed interest in being on, yes, we'll set up and coordinate some times. 
I think David and I, uh, we've got the format down now. Um, now we're going to start taking some deeper dives and actually jumping into products, uh, looking at individual um, uh, softwares. I think next week we're going to talk about uh, Bluebeam. Uh, yes. I say next week we're going to do a double episode and uh, cut it and re-record here in just a second. But uh, so we'll do Bluebeam, and then um, uh, you know after that we'll jump into the point products, Revit, CAD. Uh, well, CAD, then Revit, Navisworks, Fabricus Academy P, whatever, whatever we're talking about those weeks, we're going to try and share useful information for not only people that are just now getting those products, but also, um, you know, real tips and tricks for people that maybe have been using it for 10 years or five years that um, maybe just didn't know something, uh, maybe uh, a specific command, a tip, you know, about the way it works or the way that it integrates with something else. We're going to try and share that information and make it as useful as possible. Um, but at some point in time, we'll add video and, and uh, be able to show a little bit more. Um, but when we get past that, we'll be talking about, you know, um, you know, concepts and, and uh, interviewing and getting getting a lot more um, of a holistic focus. But I think it's really important to take it back to the basics and do a uh, kind of deep dive on what makes BIM BIM um, and uh, starting out. Uh, on the design side and eventually working working our way through so that everybody can use uh, BIM concepts and, and understand how all this plays together. I agree. You know, in one of these days, I, I will, I, I owe it to everyone here, but uh, I will do a brew day. So we will go ahead and brew while we're brewing with BIM. I am actually sourcing the components right now. Uh, so I just bought some throwing axes. My wife for the uh, Christmas got me um, uh, one of those uh, gift cards to go throw axes at one of these, you know, uh, pop-up uh, places that have been taken by storm. Uh, I think this one's called Lumberjacks, um, kind of all over the Pittsburgh area. So I'm going to, uh, you know, go throw axes. But I was like, you know, I just really want to buy some axes. So I, uh, I went to Cabela's and bought a, you know, a three-pack of some, you know, little throwing axes. I'm building a little um uh kind of board to throw them at a little dartboard if you will um target and mm-hmm. uh, while i was doing this i was thinking it's like you know what really would make my garage because i've got workout equipment and all that stuff uh i've got a lot of power tools a lot of fun stuff in my garage uh but i don't have like that man caviness i don't have the the uh the kegerator i don't have the uh the brew set up uh, so now that I'm adding all this, you know, fun stuff to play with, like the, the throwing axes, I'm really wanting to start getting into Bruins beer. So uh, I'm trying to source all my stuff right now because I'm starting from scratch again. Um, but uh, we'll 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 add that to the docket. Hopefully around, um, you know, March if we if we can start slowing down a little bit, we'll start Bruins beer, man. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. I'm, I'm planning on. Uh... I want to do at least one brew of beer, and then I want to go ahead and make some wine this year. I want, I want, that's my, that's my goal this year. I want to make a, another wine. I'm gonna try my hand at a cab. All right, I, uh, I can get behind that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not gonna drink it. I don't like being the guinea pig. <laughs> but, uh, let you tell me how it is, man. How about that? Yeah. Yep. Yep. We'll see. Cool, cool. All right, man. Let's just go ahead and cut it right here. Thank you so much for uh, another episode, and uh, I'll talk to you in a few moments. Sounds good. Thank you, everyone.